Grief, a deep emotional response to a loss. There is no right or wrong way to respond to a loss, be it a child or a beloved companion. The emotion can be crippling, life-changing. Some turn to friends and family or specialist counsellors to help them through the dark times. Some turn to less mainstream methods to help cope. What if one of these less mainstream people said that they could give you back that deep connection, even for a brief moment? But upon doing so, they informed you that your vast wealth bequeathed to you by that beloved companion was tainted, contaminated by the means in which that wealth was obtained. Would ghosts come to you looking for retribution for their deaths? Would you spend the next 41 years of your life trying to avoid and confuse the ghosts that followed you? Or had you been scammed and fallen into a pattern of behaviour, possibly driven by undiagnosed mental illness, that could not be stopped until your own death? This is the case of Sarah Winchester and the Winchester Mansion, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I am Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. So on this week, Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp were down, Twitch's source code and creator earnings were leaked and I've had a haircut. But nobody cares about that, that's not why we're here. <laughs> Last week I mentioned doing a, a brief part at the start of the podcast of Florida Man. I know it's not necessarily related to a murder, but they are usually crimes and they're weird. So I think I think it's somewhat fitting and it is, it is lighter. So having it at the start of the podcast makes more sense than if it's right at the end after we've just talked about a harrowing scene for the last hour. This is true. This is true, yes. So I would have done it for 2020, but there was a small virus going around. I don't know if you've heard about it, but apparently (laughs) it was enough to slow down the mighty Florida man, so I had to go to 2019. I can't narrow it down to whether it was the the 9th, the 10th, or the 11th, but it seems to fit our timeline well for it to be the 11th, so that's what I'm sticking with. So two years ago today, these two Floridians... And whenever I say Floridians, I genuinely think of Flo Rida, that <laughs> the, rap, the, the rapper from sort of late 2010s. But he hasn't been relevant for years, but we're not even relevant now, so who am I to chat shit? Anyway, these two typical Flo Rida bros, 27-year-old Timothy Kepke and 22-year-old Noah Osborne, channeled their inner Steve Irwin, got kiss your cousin drunk, and thought it was a good idea to piss off and then wrestle an alligator and make it by his forearm. It's been defined as small, but I don't know what the fuck that means, because it, it kind of sounds like a, he got hit by a small boulder the size of a large rock which has zero reference for size. So I'm wondering, is it small for an alligator or just what you consider small enough to bite your forearm? Because I wouldn't let an alligator bite my forearm regardless. But they thought they'd make it worse by pouring beer down its neck and getting it drunk. <laughs> I've never advocated for any form of animal violence in this podcast, bro, but I can, I can genuinely get behind someone getting a, an alligator, which is basically a, a, a homicidal murder log with legs. True. Struggle to walk around. That's just something I want to see. All right. <laughs> <laughs> on the footage it seems that it was all timothy kepke the older of the two that probably wanted to show off to his mate but both were charged with unlawfully taking an alligator after florida fish and wildlife conservation commission officers began investigating in august following a complaint of osborne catching the alligator in palm city and handing to kepke who promptly made friends with the little critter got it pissed up and then released it i have questions i always do because crocodiles and alligators' metabolisms are much slower, do you think that means that when they get pissed up, they stay pissed up for longer? Because they're not going to metabolise the alcohol. And secondly, when that was released and it went back to all of his mates, do you reckon it's like when humans get abducted by aliens and they come back and no one believes them? Because you if you're a little crocodile, bro, and, you're, and you come back and your mates say, guess what the fuck just happened to me? No one's going to believe him. Either way, they were released on bond and Jay Records didn't list any, any attorneys for them. 
but I suspect the Alligators legal team will be seeking emotional <laughs> damages. So that's the first Florida man. I, I want to say Florida man. The first Florida man. Hopefully it's not shite, but it might be something that we do at the start of every podcast. If I can't find one for that week, I'm just not going to do it. Because I'm going to be honest. Because if, if one's boring and it's something like Florida man drove car round the, the wrong way in a McDonald's drive through that's not particularly funny. Although we did see one of the, a guy that thought he broke into McDonald's and then drank like 10 litres of like fat, didn't he? And he, oh. he looked like a thumb. He looked like the thumbs from Spy Kids. It was a lot more than that. It was at least 25 litres. Yeah, but it was... We like just both looked at him. Yeah, like, is, like, is he keto? What yeah, is it? We're like, we need to put this in the podcast somehow, but I don't, I don't know where that's going to fit. <laughs> so I guess adding them in an October one when it's less serious and it's in the Winchester house, that, that made sense to us at least. But back on to the reason why everyone's here. It's for the Winchester house. That's your cue. I've done my, I've done my read. I can be quiet now. I don't, well, need, I don't need to read anything. Right, we're on the specky second... We're on the specky. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to keep that in. Carry on. We're on the second spooky month episode. There's no murders for once. We're talking ghosts and mediums and all sorts of oddness. That's the only way to put it. If you're not from the USA and the story of the mansion is probably less well known, and I didn't know its history until I heard a podcast on it a few years back, so I didn't remember much about it, to be honest. So this was interesting research. I just get vibes of... Every, all the pictures I've looked at, I've got Alice in Wonderland cross Harry Potter on acid, which kind of fits in with your Florida theme as well. This place has become a real legend and there are loads of myths, but it's a, it's a rip-roaring tale regardless. Some facts are easily verifiable. It wasn't actually called the Winchester Mansion. It was actually called La Landa Villa. So, September 1839... Sarah Pardy is born in New Haven, Connecticut, to a very well-connected family. As an adult, she stood four foot ten tall. She was very pretty and she spoke multiple languages. She was considered to be quite the catch in polite society. And on September the 30th, 1862, at the age of 23, and in the height of the American Civil War, Sarah married a young man from another prominent Connecticut family, William Winchester. Now, William's dad, Oliver, had been a shirt manufacturer and a generalised businessman, as it was called. But five years before his son William's marriage, he had taken over gun manufacturer and he'd looked to improve upon the guns that they produced. There was a war on, remember. Even though what they made was a big step up from these muzzle-loading muskets, you know, stood there for five minutes, hold on a minute, just don't move while I, you know, pop a ball in and tamp it all down and the like... In 1860, the firm developed what became known as the Henry Rifle. It was fast, easy to reload and became a firm favourite of the troops and private buyers. And money rolled in from government contracts, private buyers, the lot. So on the 15th of June, 1866, Sarah gives birth to a daughter named Annie, who developed an illness called Maramasmus. It's often described all over the literature as a wasting disease. But if you actually look into it, it's not really. It's actually a form of severe malnutrition. And its causes are varied, really varied. Now, Sarah... Did you say it was maromiasma? Marasmus. Because, like, I think like, miasma means disease, and the sound of it is bone marrow, so it sounds like... Marasmus, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So Sarah's come from a well-to, well-to-do family, like we said, and very likely, for that time, had was what was known as a wet nurse. 
it's entirely possible that if that was the case, the nurse themselves or themselves, because they often used to have a couple of them, would be malnourished or anemic, which are primary drivers behind this illness. And they would have then been unable to provide the nutrition the child required. And medicine being what it was back then, it's unlikely by the time that they realised how ill the child was that actually little could be done about it. The baby died on the 25th of June, 1866. Again, there's really some really odd reports. Some say it was nine days old or six weeks or even a year old. And I'm thinking the six weeks was right and the month was mixed up in all the various reports that I read. All would fit with the nutritional theory, though, as it's primarily an illness in children under one. Um, normally, by the age of one, a child would be weaned to be able to get nutrients from solid food. But under one year old, they would still need to get their primary nutrition from milk. So, Regarding the reporting, though, we're going back to the yes, like the late 1800s. Yes. So I, I can't really blame you for not having an accurate, up-to-date thing. This This is the oldest thing we've done i know we had a case where there was this 90 year old woman that killed her husband but this is the actual oldest as in the, the latest point that we've gone back to yeah and this is why i suspect we'll get into it some of the stuff's a little bit iffy that comes out later on you know but the, again this is why this becomes a legend there are many myths around this sarah was very probably suffering with postnatal depression which was not a thing back then was it and then grief and promptly became very mentally unwell, unwell. And it seemed she was ill for nearly 10 years. She did get better and her and William continued with their lives, but they had no further children. Now, William was struck down with pulmonary tuberculosis and he died on March the 7th, 1881. That same year, Sarah also lost her father-in-law, so William's father, and her own mother. So this was 15 years after the death of their daughter and Sarah would have been 42. Now, as a result of William's death and the way the reporting is, you can't actually line it up. I suspect the father-in-law died first, William inherited and then William left his shares to Sarah. Sarah inherited over $20.5 million, which equivalent in 2020 to $550 million. That's a stonking amount of money. As, as I've always said before, though, with these conversions of currencies, it tends not to be quite as straightforward as that because you might convert the currency over and it's now worth 500 million. But the what that could buy back then is worth more because it's, it's, it's not yeah. the appropriate amount between how much is a loaf of bread or, okay, you could buy 50 loaves of bread at the time with that money, but it's equivalent to be able to buy like 500 because of how much 20 million would have been worth back then because you could have bought towns and towns for that kind of money but you couldn't buy a town now for 500 million no you see what i mean it doesn't quite accurately reflect the money but they invented the winchester rifle as a family didn't they yes i googled it when you were talking it's 1866 which was the yeah. year that the child was born and then died yeah that one well, no it, he 1860 was when he bought the company and then he went into trying yeah, to develop uh, uh, it yeah. uh, I, I googled when yeah. was the winchester rifle yeah produced and it was said 1866 yeah so so she got this big inheritance but she also received 48.9 percent of the winchester repeating arms company and an income of about a thousand dollars per day adjusting for inflation and all the rest of it maybe it's round about twenty seven thousand dollars a day and that wasn't taxable i found until 1913 so i thought i've got no idea about 
the American and the taxes. But I'm wondering if it was somehow written into contracts with the government because the government entered into contracts with Winchester. So maybe it was a case of, you know, we're, we're, we don't have the money for this, but any profits or whatever, you don't get taxed on it for yeah, 30 it, years. It's, it's almost like in lieu of, isn't it? You won't get taxed for the money you make producing it and we'll allow you to produce it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That That's where I thought that, that would be the only explanation for it. I might sound really thick here, but is this is this sort of at the height of the Civil War? Yes. Because in uh, 1836 was when Samuel Colt made the six-shooter repeater pistol, yeah. revolver. And then, so 30 years later, this guy made the Winchester rifle, which yeah. is obviously a much longer... Yeah. ranged gun yeah exactly that was the height of the america or the great war as it was known in, in in america at the time so yeah but this is 15 years on from that so i'm assuming by this point everything's all calmed down and all the rest of it sarah's got all this money and you still they still got all these government government contracts so they would run for years usually these things so sarah is grieving not only for her husband but also still for her lost child and a short time later the myth goes, a friend suggested that Sarah might speak to a spiritualist medium about her loss. And at this point, as I said, there's some flights of fancy, imagination, I guess, although it is possible that Sarah did tell people what the medium said and probably the story got embellished over the years. I mean, this is at the height of the, the term snake oil salesman, isn't it? It wasn't because at the time it was actually very, very common for people. They'd lost so many people during oh, yeah, the war. Yeah, I, I know, but like, and the the snake oil but people yeah, going now around looking saying back. stuff like that. It's the uh, these mediums will help them make you feel better and they help her sort of sub- subside her grief. Yes, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, you're right about snake oil salesman. Yeah, that is a prime time for it. So this this is where this this story goes, and it apparently went something like this. Your husband is here, the medium told her, and he gave, she, they went on to provide a description of William Winchester. Again, a, a highly famous man at the time. Everyone would have known what... Okay. Yeah. He says for me to tell you that there is a curse on your family which took the life of he and your child. It will soon take you too. It is a curse that has resulted from the terrible weapon created by the Winchester family. Thousands of persons have died because of it and their spirits are now seeking vengeance. Sarah was then told that she must sell her property in New Haven and head towards the setting sun. She would be guided by her husband and when she found her new home in the West, she would recognise it. You must start a new life, said the medium, and build a home for yourself and the spirits who have fallen for this terrible weapon too. You can never stop building the house. If you continue to build, you will live. Stop and you will die. Sarah promptly sold the house she had and she that was she was living in in New Haven and travelled for the next three years, slowly heading west towards California, convinced that William was guiding her. Here she found a six-room or maybe an eight-room home under construction in the Santa Clara Valley, which apparently belonged to a, a Dr. Caldwell. She entered into negotiations with him and soon convinced him to sell her the house and the 162 acres it rested on. Again, some places say 140 acres, but what's 22 acres amongst friends? Apparently, she also bought another house close by for her sister and her brother-in-law to live in. So she's obviously got a sister. I don't think there were any other siblings. There's there's nothing about this. So, Why did she decide to listen to that medium? Why is that medium fucking mental and just told her, sure, just move across the country? I mean, it's not that she can't afford it. She's probably one of the richest women in the world at that point. 
being the heiress, essentially, to the Winchester fortune. But why did she decide to listen to her? Well... And then actually do it, and then actually do something like that. I suspect that, again, this is lost in the mists of time. Who knows if that story is actually true, if it was... But it it kind of does fit in with what apparently later comes on. But again, a lot of times, certainly that era, this is when spiritualist mediums came to the fore. They were very, very new. I mean, it's actually a religion in the UK, spiritualist medium. The spiritualist church is a church. Um, but it's one of those, did it happen? How did it happen? We don't actually know for sure. Again, I think a lot of it has been twisted over the years. Wouldn't she have had a financial advisor at this point? I know it's in the 1800s, but I imagine that kind of thing would have existed for people with that vast fortune. You think, how about we don't move across the country for no apparent reason? And how about we apply some sort of any form of logic to your husband is following you and he's definitely given you signals from beyond the grave? I know I'm looking through it on the 21st century sceptical hippo-wise lens of don't believe anything you read, hear, see, or anything. But c- c- come on, there must have been someone that said, how about we don't do this? Very possibly her sister and her brother-in-law. But maybe. they moved along with her. Well, she bought the house for them, and I suspect that, you know, they had their financial interests in it because they weren't... Oh, but the whole family comes from a well-to-do. Yeah, they were, they were pretty well-to-do, but... and obviously relatively high society in order for her to meet this person that sub- subsequently becomes uh, the Winchester. Yeah. The, the Winchester. Yeah. I mean, quite... Looking back at the era, again, as you say, in a different lens, during that period, the wives had, they were their husbands' properties. They had no financial uh, freedom of any description. And the fact is, they probably, the only financial advice would be the local bank manager. And there were multiple banks. And Yeah, possibly. It's, it's hard to know what the life would have been like back then alone. You look at, look at the World War II that's a different world and then this this is like a hundred years before that so as you were saying she went west where the sun sets yeah under yeah under the advice of this medium yes exactly so she buys a house for a sister and a brother-in-law and we know that there's at least one niece that comes in later into play i've heard three versions of her name so i don't quite know what's the truth on that the property itself as i said it was somewhere between 140 to 162 acres at the time when this all happened. Apparently now it's down to about four and a half acres. Loads of it were sold off years afterwards and four and a half acres is enough to maintain it. So anyway, she bought this house, this farmhouse from this doctor. It's it's either got six rooms or eight bedrooms. It's all over the place. She apparently, she tossed away any, any of the previous plans for the house and started building what she chose. She had a pick of local workers and craftsmen for the next 36 years. She didn't employ an architect. They built and rebuilt, altered and changed, constructed, demolished one section of the house after another. She kept 22 carpenters at work year round, 24 hours a day. How Miss, many? How many carpenters? 22 at least. 20. And you said it's only, it's only an eight bedroom house. Now, recently I've been inside some eight bedroom houses. They're quite big, but that's not enough to have 22 full time no. carpenters working. Uh, that was the original house. She basically, right, we've got the house. Let's stick a wing on here. Let's stick a floor on there. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do the other. And she just, they had plans because the, the house was being constructed. And she just hoiked them out, you know, straight out into the rubbish. Didn't employ an architect. Didn't employ anybody. Just basically. Yeah, because she needs it to be under construction constantly under the or advice she's gonna of this die. medium. Or the spooky speaker ghosts are going to get you. Yep. And is this, 
Do you think she's done it so that if if house is constantly in construction, then the ghosts are going to be confused and they won't be able to find her? She, see, this is the premise of what she is believing. Yeah. So as I said she's got twenty two carpenters at work all year round, twenty four hours a day. Myth, or it may be true. She played them three times the going rate. So these guys, unless they screw up, they're going to be loyal. What are they going to be doing 24 hours a day as a carpenter? There's only so much... I was going to say there's only so much wood you can lay, but that sounds really bad. There's, there's only so much you can do, and there wouldn't have been... You ain't going to have, like, a flashlight anywhere, are you? You had candles and stuff and mirrors to reflect to make it brighter and stuff, but you're not going to have actual lighting. She actually did, and I'll get into that further, but no, it wasn't what you... It wasn't candles, but she... It's constant building. It's And once you've built something, you pull it down constantly going and say there were no plans and obviously there was no building control in those you days you fucking know those carpenters were like they, they they definitely added it to make it worse like you know we've really got to add a second wing over there otherwise just in case a ghost might get you or the boogeyman the yeah. chupacabra is going to come from mexico and eat you you know you know that they big that up to make it worse just to keep working again if they're there for like how many years how many years were those carpenters there 32 years that's like that's two generations yes three Maybe. She, she's an industry in herself at yeah. this point. Well, as a part Michael Jackson having like a town working for him. She did that with carpenters. Right. This house, it grew at this point to include 26 bedrooms. It had railroad cars, which were switched onto a nearby line, bringing building materials and imported furnishings to the house. Remember, this is all wooden. There's no brickwork involved in any of this. It's a completely wooden building. Sarah claimed she had no master plan for the structure. She met each morning with the foreman and they would go over her hand sketch plans for the day's work. So she had ideas and then she changed her mind. Sometimes things wouldn't work out the right way. You know, I want this. Mum, we can't. Sarah always had a quick solution. If this happened, they would just build another room round an existing one. Rooms were added to rooms and then turned into entire wings. Doors were joined to windows. Levels turned into towers and peaks, and the place eventually grew to the height of seven storeys. Inside of the house, there were three elevators, and there were 47 fireplaces. A number of them actually didn't connect to anything. Seven storeys. Seven storeys. There were, there were staircases all over, all over the place, which led to nowhere. Blind chimneys, as I said, they stopped short of the ceiling. Doors that opened onto blank walls. Trap doors. Double back hallways. Literally, you go down thinking you're going somewhere, then you had to turn around and come back again to go. And it was like a labyrinth. Skylights that were located one above another, but never actually reached to the sky. Doors that opened to steep drops to the lawn below. So literally a Bond movie. You'd open the door. It would be a seven-story drop. Yeah. Do you reckon those skylights would at one point have reached the sky because she kept adding to it? And yeah. It's almost like a honeycomb, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's almost like a, a, a nest, like a, a, bee's, a beehive. Yes. It's adding to it constantly, constantly, getting bigger and bigger and expanding outward like some sort of mass. A perfect analogy. Yes, exactly. All of the stair posts, they were installed upside down. And many of the bathrooms had glass doors. There is a reason behind this. There appears to be no major explanation why, but I've got an inkling possibly. But 13 is a big factor in the building of the house. She had a chandelier reworked to hold 13 candles instead of the normal 12. There are 13 sink drains. Various sets of 13 wall hooks were installed within the home. You know, the things you put your coats on. Nearly all of the windows contained 13 panes of glass. 
The walls had 13 panels. The greenhouses had 13 cupolas, those little dome things that looked like dovecoats. Many of the wooden floors contained 13 sections. Some of the rooms had 13 windows and every staircase but one had 13 steps. This exception is unique in its own right. It's a winding staircase with 42 steps. The steps only rise nine feet because each step is only two inches high. Now, it's speculated that this was because Sarah, by the end of her life, was crippled with arthritis and actually could only lift her feet off the floor a few inches at a time. Why didn't she just build a bungalow wing? But she had three elevators. Sorry, three lifts. And these lifts, one of them was um, installed by Otis, which were... They still exist now and they make lifts now. Yeah, but it was light years ahead of anything else that had been produced anywhere and certainly was never put into a domestic dwelling. The Hall of Fires is actually three small spaces that once appear to have been separated by curtains. Strange the Hall of the, Fires? Yeah. Isn't f- that a layer of Dante's Inferno? That's like number six. <laughs> yeah, you're not... Yeah, well, I mean, I might Hall do. of Fires. There are four fireplaces and three hot air vents in this space. And again, it's speculated that Sarah actually used this as a sauna to help her arthritis. But the Hall of Fires makes it sound much more mystical, doesn't it? Yeah, it it sounds like a layer of hell. It sounds like one of the Dante's Inferno's things. Yeah, yeah. One window was designed by Tiffany himself so that when the sunlight strikes through the prismatic crystals, a rainbow is cast across the room. The window was installed in an interior wall in a room with no light exposure, so basically you couldn't see it. And not only 13 as in those spiders' webs. There are lots of windows made to look like spiders' webs. Again, there may be a lot of logic to the madness when you get further into it. The house had been designed as a maze, as you said, to confuse and discourage the bad spirits. The house is predominantly made of redwood. Sarah preferred the wood. However, she didn't like the look of it. Did you think that ghosts can't walk through walls? I think that's where it comes from. Be- yeah, I know. <laughs> ghosts, right, ghosts can walk through walls. I mean, they can't. They're not real. If, but if ghosts can walk through walls. Why is her having this honeycomb house-looking thing going to stop ghosts going through it? It's definitely haunted now, just because you've got this seven-story weird compound thing. I... And they've probably had about thirty different carpenters die there, so now it's definitely haunted. Well, I'm thinking she's thought that the ghosts were only out at night. So if they whacked another room on during the day and altered the layout of another room, when the ghosts came to at night, they wouldn't know where they were and they'd get lost. So and they wouldn't be able to find so her. So she thought she confused the ghosts yep. so much that they forgot there were ghosts and they only come out at night because that's what ghosts do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I said, the, the house is made of redwood. She didn't like the look of it. She demanded that they create a, like a faux grain and stain was applied to all of it. Have you seen pictures of the inside of it? Yes. It actually looks really quite nice. Yeah. Some of the rooms I've seen, some of them probably look a bit killy, but the ones that I've seen at least looks, looks quite nice. There are gold and silver chandeliers, hand-inlaid hand parquet flooring and trim, and fu- there's masses of colours and materials. There was only one working toilet. It's been said that all the other restrooms or bathrooms were decoys to confuse the spirits, hence the glass doors on the bathrooms. So what constitutes as a decoy bathroom? 
it it wasn't plumbed in, but it looked like a bathroom. You'd walk into it. Imagine if you... Vi- I know. It's those... <laughs> You've got 18 bathrooms, but I shit in the cupboard. I'm not being funny. <laughs> Only half of them work. <laughs> well, it's like that, that one where the children go into, like, you know, B&Q, Home Depot, and they're actually... And, sitting- and they just take a dump or yeah, start yeah. having a shower. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at pictures of the Winchester house now from a bird's eye view. It doesn't like seven stories in certain places, cause, but it, it, oh. kind of, it kind of compounds up almost like a castle would. But have you ever seen a bird's eye view of like um, palaces or big buildings in Moscow, like the very stereotypical ones yes. I'm thinking of? It kind of looks like that because it's got this bright red ceiling in place. Right, I'm going to say that and, what uh, you're... And all the different, not the equivalent of, but like the skyline yeah. profile shot you'd see, it kind of looks like that. It looks really nice though. It, it looks quite idyllic and it's really nice colours. What you're looking at now is how it looks now. That's was not, it not like that? No, oh. that's not... It rose to seven stories, and I'll get oh, yeah, into it. There's, there's just some doors on the second floor from the outside. Yes, exactly. So I said there was only that one working toilet, and it was to confuse the spirits, and that's another reason why she slept in a different bedroom every night, and I'll get into that in a bit further on. Because she can fucking find where her main bedroom is. They've moved the house six times since then. Yeah, right. I said that she had... She was, she was actually a visionary. There were many things that were installed in this house that were so not common for... It didn't matter. I mean, I know she had more money than anybody else in the world probably at that time, but they had steam and forced air heating. This is when most people didn't even have indoor toilets. Push-button gas... Okay, try that again. Push-button gas lights. There we go. Did you add an extra word? Didn't you? you kept adding the word glass in there or something. I know. I, I was trying to say... I don't know why I was trying to say gas and gas. Anyway. And Sarah, personal and only hot shower from indoor plumbing. As I said, she slept in a different bedroom every night, never repeating two nights in a row in the same room. That house had 40 bedrooms and all of them had themes. There were themes of flowers. There were places. There was like the Asian bedroom and things like that. San Francisco earthquake, 1906. When it was all over, portions of the house were in ruins. The top three floors, so this is where when I, you said it doesn't look like a seven storey, it wasn't. The top three floors fell off and they landed in the gardens. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a picture, I assume it was a picture from back then, as old as pictures could be. Yeah, it's weird. It, look, it looks like a kid's had a go at Sims and they've sort of stacked stuff on top. It, it looks... It looks very put together. And I mean, like, they've just sort of... Oh, this is attached a part here. This attached a part there. There's been no attempt at making it look aesthetic. Why would she? She's worried about fucking ghosts. Uh, but, uh, and she's definitely got survivor bias. She thinks that because they've been doing this for so long and they haven't been killed by ghosts, that means it's working, hasn't she? Yes. She's definitely yep. got that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I said, the top three still land off in the gardens and they, they never rebuild those. The earthquake happened in 1906. That night, Sarah was sleeping in the daisy room and the fireplace that was in that daisy room collapsed. It shifted the room and trapped Sarah inside. She became convinced that the earthquake had been a sign from the spirits and were furious that she'd actually nearly completed the house. So going back to your theory, in order to ensure that the house would never be finished, she decided to board up the front 30 rooms of the mansion so that the construction would not be complete and so that the spirits who fell within the portion of the house when it collapsed would be stuck within those rooms. 
get. I know. I, I know you stopped to look at me there because you thought I was going to say something. But if they can't walk through walls, <laughs> why is she worried in the first place? And if they can cause earthquakes, you've got much bigger problems than them walking through a wall that they can't get through. How many guys... Go- I know. I know. Right. There's, there was one thing called the carriage room. And it's literally, it was what you and I would think of as a garage we'd have now. But Sarah could get in a carriage, literally a talking a horse-drawn carriage here, and then be driven outside without getting wet. And you can actually see pictures of that. And that was considered completely revolutionary. But now you would, everybody would think you just walk out through the inner door into your garage, get in your car, press the button, open the garage doors and off you go. But that wasn't the thing when you've got horses attached to carts. Or you've got ghosts chasing you. Yeah. So... The earthquake happened. The workmen trying to repair the damage and board up these rooms that she'd had. And only a few rooms had actually been badly damaged and they'd lost the top floors and several of those couple of things and towers had toppled over. But the expansion of the house began again. The number of bedrooms increased. At the time, eventually it became 40, but 1906 it went for 15, 20 and then 25. Chimneys were installed all over the place, like I said, although they served no purpose. Some believed that they were added because old stories say that ghosts like to appear and disappear through them. I immediately go to Harry Potter again. You know, the flume thing they throw in the fire and whoosh. Uh, Diagon Alley. That's it, yeah. yeah. On a related note, it's been documented that there's only two mirrors installed in the house. Sarah believed that ghosts were afraid of their own reflection. Now, every, yeah, ghost, I can't see a reflection, but... Why wouldn't you just have more mirrors then? I'd have the entire house lined with mirrors. Yeah. Because if ghosts are scared of mirrors and they can't walk through walls, just trap them in a room of mirrors. Exactly. So, again, some somewhere this myth's gotten twisted. Eventually, that house had 10,000 window panes, more than on the Empire State Building, which is roughly 6,500. In the 1920s, Sarah also had a houseboat on San Francisco Bay, which became known as Sarah's Ark. It was reputedly kept there as an insurance against her fear of a second great flood, you know, like Noah's Ark. But apparently the more they think that the more mundane answer is it was a social status thing. People of her wealth and that often had boats moored out there. And the ark apparently was destroyed in f- by fire in 1929 and she never replaced it. September the 5th, 1922, after a conference session with spirits in the seance room. Again, this is part of the legend, but there is what's called the blue room at the very centre of the house. And it is believed that she held seances in there. The myth maybe is that they were held between 10pm and midnight, which wouldn't explain the next bit. If you're going to hold a seance every night at 10 o'clock till midnight, two hours every single night. Well, she can't do them during the day because she'll wake them up and they get more angry at her, clearly. Yeah. And because she's changed the room so much, they might get lost and she might anger them. Yeah. And they might make a second earthquake. Yeah. So Sarah goes off to bed and she's reported to have died of heart failure at 10.45pm, which, again, that doesn't make sense with the myth about this seance room. But she's 83 years old at this time. Again, the myth goes that when the carpenters were told that Sarah had died, they all quit on the spot and left half-hammered nails sticking out of the walls. So, 
Although Sarah was reclusive and there's only one photograph in existence, it's believed that it was said to have been taken covertly. She And I've seen it. She's sat in a like a, a horse-drawn cart type thing. She actually didn't live there alone. She had 18 servants, 18 gardeners. Why not 13? No, she didn't. They were all ghosts, mother. <laughs> and, of course, the carpenters, yeah. lots and lots of carpenters. And, the, and her, this niece that I spoke about, she actually lived with Sarah for 15 years until she got married and moved out. Now, they've only got one working indoor toilet and Sarah's got her own personal shower. So what was the poor niece doing? Anyway, she left all of her possessions, Sarah, in her will to her niece and her private secretary. And the niece had been managing Sarah's affairs for a number of years by this point. This might seem like a really unnecessary question. Which niece was at the side of? Was the side of her husband's? Like uh, siblings, but did he? I assume he didn't have any then, because if he got if he got the share of the company, he did, he did. But no, it's not. It's her sisters. It's her sisters. sisters. Yeah. So legend legend has it again that Sarah's fortune had dwindled. Well, it would if you were paying carpenters three times the rate for thirty eight years, wouldn't it? And thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on all this uh, work. Now, rumour had it that there was somewhere in the house was hidden a safe containing a fortune in jewellery. And a solid gold dinner service with which Sarah had entertained her ghostly guests. Her relatives did manage to find a safe that it was up in a loft and they forced it open. And the only thing they found in there was old fishing uh, twine, socks, newspaper obituaries for her husband and her daughter, a lock of baby hair and a lock of her husband's hair and a suit of woolen underwear, which was the norm in those days, and it would have been as itchy as hell. I know the look on your face. No solid gold dinner service was ever discovered. Uh, yeah, of course there wasn't. Mm, yeah. There, there, there probably was, do you know what I mean? And they, Oh, no, we opened the safe, there was nothing in there. Yep, and it's been I'm, melted. I'm going to go home in my new car. Don't ask any more questions. <laughs> That's It's like... Um, Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge when he dies yes and they take down like his curtains and his jewellery yes. and stuff like that it's kind of like that isn't it they're going to have all these people that work there scrounge the stuff up and sell it because they've worked with this crazy woman for 30 years and they've had like their living arrangements changed 50 times yeah so as I said she, it was everything was left to her niece and the private secretary and her niece then took everything she wanted and sold the rest at private auction the myth is that it supposedly took six trucks working eight hours a day for six weeks to remove all of the furniture from the house. That account is disputed by Sarah's biographer. But there is a report in a newspaper that said that the place was so puzzling that it took the, more, the workmen more than six weeks just to get the furniture out of it. And that was actually published in the press in the 1920s. The men became so lost that it was a labyrinth, they told them. It's a magazine called American Weekly. And they said stairs led downstairs, neither to a cellar nor upstairs to the roof. Again, Harry Potter with the bloody moving staircases. Sarah, Sarah made no mention of the mansion in her will, which apparently contained 13 pages and was signed by her 13 times. Appraisers considered the house worthless due to the damage caused by the earthquake, which was, you know, 15 odd years before. It was unfinished and it was impractical because half the stuff didn't work or it was, you know, you had rooms, you'd open a door, go into what was a room and then you had a... What's that weird puzzle picture thing where it's those, the staircases that are on the floor, then they're on the ceiling, then they're on 
Yeah. It's it's like it's like yeah, it's it's like a trope in movies and people get stuck yep. in purgatory. They're in this weird room. I'm getting those kind of vibes where yep. nothing makes sense. It's it's not like MC Usher or something, is it? That I do not know. Oh, it is. I, t- I searched MC Usher. And it... Surrealism. There you go. I don't know. I, I, I googled MC Usher and it came up with it. That weird staircasey thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. So the house was apparently at that point uh, when Sarah died, it was 24,000 square foot and is described as a Queen Anne-style house. It looks normal from the outside. It's the inside. It was sold at auction to a local investor for over $135,000. And then it was leased for 10 years to a couple who eventually did actually purchase the house. In February 1923, five months after Sarah's death, the house was open to the public with the wife of the people who leased it and then eventually owned it being the tour guide. Now, one of the first people to see the place when it opened to the public was Robert Ripley. Rip, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like the discount. Guinness yeah, that's one. Thing. Yeah. The house was initially advertised as being 148 rooms, but was so confusing, the floor plan, that every time a room count was taken, a different number came up. The rooms of the house were counted over and over again. And five years later, it was estimated that 160 rooms existed. Why don't they just write a one and then go through on the floor and yep. then go to the next room, two? Is there a, is there a, a thing in this room? No. Okay, on to the next one. I don't. Why did that take five years? They, again, they dragged that out for no reason. Well, again, no one's apparently no. Again, I've, this is where the myth it stills perpetrated that no one really knows if the 160 rooms is correct. I bet it's they still moving, isn't it? Will. It's all spooky and supernatural. Yep. It's still moving and changing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Harry Houdini also visited the house after Sarah's death, and he's also rumoured to have actually held a séance there. Don't know again whether that's true or not. Now, today, the house is owned by a private company, which is owned by the descendants of the original couple that bought it from those investors and opened it up. Although even that is apparently hidden behind layers of who owns what, who and where. So we don't know. It's hidden behind corporations that are offshores. It's speculated that who owns it, but nobody really knows. So it's maybe playing into the myth of it all for the fun. This house has been declared a California historical landmark and is registered with the National Park Service as a large, odd dwelling with an unknown number of rooms. Dozens of psychics have visited the house over the years and most have come away convinced, or claim they are, that spirits still wander the place in addition to the ghost of Sarah. There's been loads of sightings by loads of people, loads of visitors. Employees and visitors alike have said there have been footsteps banging doors, mysterious voices, windows that bang so hard they shatter, cold spots, strange moving lights, which are actually also called orbs, which is a spiritualist type thing, and doorknobs that turn by themselves. Again, if you're logically minded, all of this can be explained by the nature of the house. A little while ago, I was scrolling through Twitter and someone was looking for a, I think it was like a third or fourth person to take part in their podcast. And it was something like, they want to come through with conspiracy theories and they want someone that's the... Uh, uh, Debunker? Yeah, the sceptic. Yeah. looking for the sceptic. Yep. And I was like, I might do it, but I can't be asked doing another podcast, so I didn't do it. 
all of those things could be just could be explained because the house is built badly and it's built to be weird and confusing. All the creaky floorboards and the stuff shutting and opening, it's because the doors wouldn't have been hung properly because there's 7,000 of them. Glass, glass would have shattered because, again, what was the quality of the glass? There's cold spots because there's fucking holes everywhere. There was an earthquake. Those orb things, they can just be weird reflections of light. I get them on my iPhone if it's hitting the sun weird. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're... No, it's not. It's not. It's just not. <laughs> Sorry. I get annoyed by stuff like this. Again, it's one of these things. I wonder how much of this is... A myth created because it serves a purpose to... Be a myth. Yeah. Rather than just a crazy eccentric woman. Yeah. And she might have done those things and then for those motivations. But I guess if you big up the story around it, it makes it seem more rich and for a reason. And then there's no harm in believing that this is true. I don't think. Do you know what I mean? And exactly. then no one's actually getting harmed by thinking about this or thinking this is true. Yeah, there's there's, there's no malice in any of this, definitely. And it, it got me thinking, doing the research to do this, and then I ended up with questions myself, like the fact that they it took them four years to have a child. Sarah was under five foot tall. Infertility, it's not understood now specifically well. Um, even then, I doubt it would have been. Large families were very, very common because it was a Victorian era. Ten plus. They expected a lot of children to die from childhood illnesses that could be cured now. So I did wonder if she became almost a social outcast at some point, failure to produce a child. Because of the time, yeah, having a child and having it die would have been so common, you're not going to be an outcast. Because if, if, if you have to have 15 kids because only five of them live, everyone's doing that. You're not going to be a weirdo for having this unfortunate event of your child dying everyone's had it and she's rich as fuck i don't disagree with you but the premise would be that you're newly married especially in that era people would expect children to come along very quickly and multiple children and it took four years to have one child that died very very quickly then she was very ill for a number of years and then there were no more children and society that polite society and it really is a euphemism I could imagine there being some kind of problem around it, but there was no mention of divorce. And again, it's not done in polite society. And in those days, it was very easy to have your wife committed to a mental institution for an array of reasons as a husband and then subsequently quietly vanish them almost but it didn't yeah, happen they, they get epstein in these insane asylums yeah but they it get didn't... diagnosed with hysteria yes yeah. yes that's a perfect analogy absolutely perfect but it didn't happen so i think there was genuine love there and he just wanted her to get better and this is why i think when he died it possibly did trigger quite a lot of well she should have guilt over him dying over the child dying not being able to have more kids maybe they wanted them I understand what you said. Maybe she was an outcast for not having kids, but I think having the one kid and them not surviving isn't a, a negative on that one person. And I think if she was, that's other people projecting, putting someone else down but, around them to make them feel better. But we know that that does definitely does happen, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I know it happens now, but that doesn't just because that happened to her doesn't mean she is a social outcast or is worthy of being one. No. And, and I, know, I know that's not what you're saying, but I'm sort of emphasising the point as to people at those times that thought that being incorrect in doing so. But yeah, we're not doing a case autopsy, by the way, because there isn't one. No one died that yeah. we know of, apart from carpenters that were having to deal with wood and asbestos every day. Because there was, there was no way there wasn't weird stuff going on there. There are historians and there was a book written about this case. Well, about the whole thing, about Sarah specifically. It came out in 2010. 
and you and I briefly discussed this pr prior to recording, said that they didn't believe that they'd look through all the paperwork that the carpenters had left. And I'm sat there thinking, how many carpenters would have kept records back from them? A lot of them would have been illiterate. Definitely. I reckon a lot of them would just because of how crazy the house was. You had to, otherwise you would, you'd get stuck for a week and you'd die. Oh, now you've said that. I wonder if that did ever happen to somebody. Yeah, it definitely did. You lost someone. They did you count they, them they, all in and then count them all out at the end of the day? No, because they probably had fucking kids themselves. They've been there for so long. <laughs> it's like when the queue's so long, it gets added to it because kids are born. That's what's happening. Yeah, and then, you, well, you've got a job for life, haven't you, with someone like Sarah? There, there have to be stories or movies or other horror stories told from this. There, there, there has to have been. I mean, I, the Haunting of Hill House is one that I can think of. There's various cases I think we might have even watched them together of how, of maybe on like CSI, of houses being built that have fake shoots. You open the door, you go through it, and it's just a shoot that goes down to a blender and you get cut up. There's loads, there's probably some stuff like that. If fucking Saw movies would have had them. Do you know what I mean? You're not wrong in some of that, but yeah, I mean, there, I didn't realise the volume of blogs, books and films that have been written or actually based on this story. There's actually a musical, an opera, and Sarah was actually portrayed by Helen Mirren, the actress, in a 2018 horror film called Winchester. Called, called Winchester. Yeah. What was interesting, when a bit digging, the company that developed the proposal is actually the company, well, the family, because we don't know, who actually owns the house. So they were the money behind it. Yeah, they want to propagate this story, don't they? They're yeah. the one that owns this thing. It's like the art world saying that this picture we bought for five million is now worth 10 million. Oh my God, it's crazy, right? Well, Rotten Tomatoes didn't like it. They gave it about one and a half out of a five. And the critics didn't like it, said it was a plot that was wasted. What so, was the, the user score or the public score? I didn't understand that when I went digging. I was probably on the wrong bit. I think it was 13%. Okay, that's pretty shit then. Yeah. If everyone yeah. says it's bad, it's probably bad. So the premise of the film, what it came out, you know, when you read the back of a DVD case, it says the most... Wow. Yeah. That, that dates you a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Back of a DVD case. Oh, shut when up. When was the last time anyone bought a DVD? Oh, shut up. DVDs, wow. Right. The most haunted house in the world sits on an isolated stretch of land that's 50 miles outside of San Francisco. Built by Sarah Winchester, heiress to the Winchester fortune, it stands seven stories tall and contains hundreds of rooms. And it goes on and on and on, but it's Sarah's actually building a prison, an asylum for hundreds of vengeful ghosts, and the most terrifying amongst them have a score to settle with the Winchesters. Apparently, the box office USA gross was 25.1 million. Is that good? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that's pretty poor. I don't, it didn't. I don't, I didn't. I know it's not a blockbuster movie and not all movies have to be. But I'd say that's pretty low. It was probably a, a wasted. It was a wasted opportunity. It says that Sarah was probably creating a puzzle full of inscriptions or encryptions inspired by the work of English philosopher Francis Bacon. There's speculation that the clues to the house's true meaning are hidden in the ballroom, the Shakespeare windows, there's iron gates. They suggest that Sarah was a member of a mystical society like the Rosicrucians or a secret society like the Freemasons or possibly both. Now, the Rosicrucians are a movement that appeared in the 17th century. All sorts of mixed up belief from all sorts of religions, nothing massively red flag initially, although they were actually influential on people like Alistair Crowley 
if you know anything about the esoteric world, that's that set the hairs on my arms up a little bit. And they do like a bit of spider symbolism. These Rocrucians also seem to have influences in some of the Freemasonry in Europe. Freemasonry was alive in the USA during Sarah's early years, although interesting, not in the UK. And although women can be involved, they can't become full members as such, I don't believe, even today. And they have, again, the Freemasons have spiders as part of their symbolism or included in the vows. It actually creeped me out so much when I was researching. I didn't dig into too much of it, but say the loads of these uh, windows in the house, they do look like spiders webs. Freemasons deny the link to the number 13. But uh, people that are deep into the Illuminati theory do believe there's a lot more to it. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, is thought to have had been the 13th person to sit down at the Last Supper. Do you know if he was also suspected to be Ginger, which is why Ginger people are hated? Really? Yep. Well, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm sure you can hate Ginger people for other reasons. But they think Judas was Ginger. Well, I learned something today. Yeah. I also learned something else about this. In North, you'd know this one, Norse mythology. A dinner party of the gods was ruined by the 13th guest, Loki, who caused the world to be plunged into darkness. We both know this. Hotels will often not, not have a room number 13. Lots of tall buildings don't have a 13th floor. They go from 12 to 14. I also didn't know this one. Some airlines refuse to have a row 13 on some planes. That might be because of all the superstitious people. They're like, oh, I'm not going to fly with them because they've got one. So they, they're yeah. forced to. Yeah. And it's like it's performative. They have to do that. Yeah, a lot of people thought Sarah was just coping with her grief with the activity. She was just crazy. But this historian thinks that Sarah was doing that because it, what she was doing with the house, when she first married Mitt William, they built their new Haven house together. And the historian seems to think that maybe she was replicating a time when she was much happier, which, again, would make sense. She's keeping herself busy as well. Yeah. She was an ardent, although apparently quite eccentric, philanthropist. She was keeping all these carpenters in work purely to keep them in work. And she actually built a local hospital and named it after her husband. So she wasn't as dotty as they made out in some things. Again, we're talking that she hated her, her brother-in-law on her husband's side and she was spending the money to avoid being pressurised into reinvesting it back into the Winchester Gun Company. The house didn't fall over in that 1906 earthquake that I mentioned. The top three layers fell off, yes, but there was another earthquake in 1984 and it survived that. And it turns out the house is actually built on the what was for the time revolutionary foundation. It's called floating. It moves. It's very common now in earthquake zones. But was she ahead of her time with that when she thought about it? Because she was the one that came up with it, apparently. Talking about haunted houses, there's a couple that we all probably know of. The Amityville Horror which was actually Ronald DeFeo Jr., wasn't he? That's, that's not a haunted house. I don't actually know what that is, by the way. Oh, right. There you go, folks. We might bookmark that one for next year. I'm going to come up with another one. The Watcher House. Do you know that one? No. Oh, that's, that's a real doozy. And I guess there will be a lot of people that know this one. 1983, New Jersey. There's a, a couple bought this house and they had children. And they started getting um, what we would call poison pen letters, basically saying they're being watched. And they were written in such a way that 
they they were terrifying. They got the police involved. They had this looked into, that looked into. There were accusations that there were frauds going on, that they were trying to sue the previous owners to get their money back because they couldn't actually afford the house. There was nobody watching it. Who could? It's oh, it's really, really a weird one, but it's it sets. It's a perfect horror film, but it's a real life thing. But whether it's true or not, I don't know. Again, that's another one to bookmark for next year. So was Sarah mad or was she the absolute epitome of what we would call eccentric? Was she a philanthropist and the whole story's been twisted? I genuinely, I just think it's one of these things that just started out as one thing and became something else. And it just ran and it's still running today. There's a huge industry around this. It's apparently it's a really, really interesting sight to go see if you're a tourist in the area. I just think she's a eccentric woman that was taken advantage of by a medium. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it, taken advantage is the right word. Influenced? Yeah, she was, she was influenced very heavily by a woman who said something that seemed to confirm her original beliefs. She might have had this pre-given or ordained guilt for yeah. what her husband or her family had done. Uh, her kids had passed away or her kid had died and then husband had died she riddled with guilt she'd followed this woman's advice and then nothing bad had happened so she ran with it she's got the money and funds to do it if she didn't have the money she would have just been like an, a homeless natter at the time true she? yep very true so i don't think there's anything bad about her at all it's just a very interesting weird thing that someone spent millions and millions building a house constantly because ghosts were going to get them but it's the fact that ghost stories are still... There are still psychics and mediums turning up. There are visitors that are turning up that saying that they hear and see things out in the gardens. The best one I read was you can hear Sarah playing her grand piano when you are stood on the gardens and there are two keys out of tune. Well, Sarah, somebody with Sarah's money wouldn't have had a piano that was out of tune. She also probably didn't know what the tune was, but... It's, yeah. become, it's become an industry. Yes, so, absolutely. Uh, there might well have been people that uh, go there, set up speakers that do this stuff like that to propagate the yeah the mystery. You can prove this stuff doesn't exist by very many metrics, very many instruments you can take out to, to prove or disprove it. And funnily enough, there's been no scientific proof. It's bollocks. But what, what that is, is the end of the podcast. It makes a good story, though, for Second Spooky Oh, yeah, week. I mean, I'm not saying the thing itself is bollocks. I'm saying the ghost stuff was. She's fucking mental. But that's the end of the podcast. We'll see you next week. That's episode two of our spooky stuff. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Bye.